A recent archaeological dig in Israel has unearthed an ancient papyrus that, if genuine, is an amazing find. It appears to be a report from a first century firm of management consultants. Apparently Jesus hired this company to help him select his 12 disciples. And I'm excited to share with you the following translation. From Jordan Management Consultants to Jesus, son of Joseph. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have selected for management positions in your new organisation. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and have undergone personal interviews with our psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultant. It is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. We recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and with proven success. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a sceptical attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that the tax collector Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. Simon the Zealot has radical leanings. However, one candidate does show great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, ambitious and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your chief executive officer. (laughs) Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultants. Aren't you glad he didn't listen to them? Peter, sure, impetuous, but when was passion such a terrible thing? Thomas, yes, he had questions, but doubt can be our friend because we walk by faith and not by sight. Simon the Zealot, certainly a violent extremist, but with God's healing touch, even the hateful heart can bleed with love. And those twins... Those jealous, competitive sons of thunder, James and John. Fisher folk who turned the world upside down. These fickle, broken, damaged men and their female co-workers we never really hear much of were God's choice to create an enterprise, a project, an experiment so wild and crazy you would never imagine it. A fishing business, if you please, to catch people like us with our frailties, fractures and failures. Because in the hands of the entrepreneur who calls the fisher folk, broken things become useful. I've never spotted the joy in fishing. The call of the wild has missed my ears. The lure of the river has washed over me. Give a man a fish and he will eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he will sit in a boat and drink beer all day. (laughs) 
that's okay because Peter and Andrew, James and John, the fisher folk in today's gospel lesson, were not the kind we naturally think of when we think of fishing. So throw overboard your visions of angling on a placid lake in upstate New York. Jettison the fantasy of reeling a marlin onto a sturdy boat off the coast of Florida. Think instead of deep sea trawlermen. Come with me to New England and the lobster men who eke out a living in foreboding waters. Or even further up to the hunters of cod and haddock in the frigid North Atlantic. This kind of fishing is uncomfortable, inconvenient and risky. On the lakes and rivers of New Jersey, there isn't much of any of those things. Fishing is a relaxing pastime, a quiet, peaceful day out. You might come home with a trout or two, but that's not the point. It's about recreation. If you want discomfort, inconvenience and risk in a hobby, then you take up golf. (laughs) At least that's my experience. Trawling is uncomfortable. It is now, and it was 2,000 years ago, when Jesus strode purposefully along the beach at the Sea of Galilee and called those four fisherfolk to leave their nets and come fishing for people instead. The crew would dock their boat a few yards from the shore, so before they even set sail, they had to wade out, waist deep, and clamber aboard. And these boats weren't exactly cruise liners. They were small and spartan. Then, if they were blessed to survive the night and make a catch, the men would haul their fish-laden net up the beach. So, a trawlerman had painful joints and aching muscles. And this career was dangerous. The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake and it was prone to storms that could be violent and unpredictable. It lies 680 feet below sea level and is surrounded by hills as high as 2,000 feet. So it sunbathes in the bottom of a deep bowl. But cool, dry air descends those hills and collides with this subtropical body of water. And when that happens, look out. The air undergoes a seismic change in temperature and pressure, and a storm is born. Many seafarers in Bible times perished on that lake. Trawling. It's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and it's risky. But they had no choice. James and John, Peter and Andrew, they were born to do it. Their fathers each had a boat, and from as early as they could remember, they knew that one day those boats would become theirs, those hard days' nights, theirs, those arthritic joints, theirs, that seasickness, theirs, that plea to God that tonight those nets would swallow fish so their families could swallow bread was theirs, those dark fears of a watery grave, theirs. Of all the metaphors 
Jesus could have used when he called these four brothers to give themselves to the task of leading men and women to God, fishing has to be the most vivid and most accurate. Because it's tough out there. To share your faith with someone is uncomfortable, inconvenient and risky. You know it is. Most of us would be brave enough to say something personal about our faith in the safety of this building to another Christian. But doing that with people who do not share our beliefs is scary. When you tell your friend that you'll pray for them in their stressful situation, it's uncomfortable, inconvenient and risky. When you try to comfort your co-worker in their loss, you feel the, the urge to mention something about God, but it's uncomfortable, inconvenient and risky. When you're making friends with a new neighbour and it crosses your mind to invite them to church, you know it's risky. We fisher folk in the mainline churches are fully aware, thanks very much, that turning our gaze away from ourselves, our buildings, our meetings, our agendas, and directing it instead on our neighbourhoods is a frightening prospect. It's uncomfortable, inconvenient and risky. Now I have some spectacularly good news. We Episcopalians have an amazing resource to help us fish. We have been using it for centuries. I am proud to stand here today and give you a cast iron guarantee that this attractive and affordable resource will remove all the discomfort, inconvenience and risk of fishing for people. And we put this on the beach and wait for the fish to jump in. (laughs) Now, clearly, this is a better way to fish. There's no embarrassment. It involves no hard work or imagination. It's cheap and no one is going to reject us. They just jump in. And there is the added bonus that we don't have to change. The fish come to us. There's one slight problem, though, which I don't need to tell you about. But let's take heart. Miraculously, from time to time, a fish or two do make it into the bucket, and we pat ourselves on the back for being open and welcoming. But it's not the adrenaline-pumping, vision-exploding, heart-transforming mission that Jesus calls us to. So what happens when the fish don't jump? Some fisher folk think there must be something wrong with the bucket, so they buy a bigger one, confusing Jesus' first call of fishing with Kevin Costner's first law of baseball. Building it would indeed make them come if the building as it currently is were the reason they were not coming already. Other fisher folk assume that making the interior more comfortable will cause more fish to jump in. (laughs) Or 
be some adding some attractive features to the bucket will make it more attractive. (laughs) Cheers. Some fisher folk blame the sea, the sand, or the wind, or the tide, or the moon, or something, anything that is outside their power to influence. This is convenient because it means they can have no responsibility for how things could be. These fisher folk complain about how society has changed, especially the fish blue laws and the fish schools with their fish soccer on their fish Sunday mornings. And some even blame the fish themselves for their lack of faith, their skewed priorities, their materialism, their lazy preference to stay in the sea rather than jump into the unknown scary bucket, and their tiny fish brains which prevent them from recognising what an excellent place their bucket is if only those stupid fish would realise what's good for them. Come with me says Jesus, and I will make you fishers of people, trawlers of women and men, boys and girls, inconvenienced, uncomfortable risk-takers, who are not content with buckets and pillows, but do the uncomfortable thing, the inconvenient thing, the risky thing. The adrenaline-pumping, vision-exploding, heart-transforming mission that Jesus calls us to is trawling. If we do it, we're going to catch all sorts of things. We will haul in our nets and there'll be an old plastic bottle, a piece of driftwood, some seaweed and all manner of fish. Christ's fisher folk have big nets. We accept whatever we catch. The precision targeting of the angler standing in the river focusing on a bass is not our sport. When we have a big net, we're open to catching anyone. There is no fish that is too broken, too sick, too odd for us to welcome. We will embrace fish of all shapes and shades and sizes, all ages, all abilities, all occupations and interests. As long as they're happy to join our aquarium with us odd-looking fish, then come on in, the water's lovely. I received a phone call this week from a man who was angry that we had hosted the Martin Luther King commemoration last Monday. After telling me he had never been to St Paul's, he began a stream of consciousness that won my admiration for its fluency but not its content. At three minutes, he removed any doubt about his racism. At six minutes, he convinced me he despised all churches, and I had thought we were special. (laughs) At nine, I began to marvel at just how many people and organisations he really did hate. And at 12, I politely interrupted him, explained that I had listened to him silently for a long time and I needed to go, but he was welcome to come to church as warmly as were the black people he despised. I wished him God's blessing and hung up. Because even that fish can be touched by God's transforming grace.
can't he? Even he can have a future that is a blessing to his neighbour. Are you ready to go fishing? It's rough out there. Bring your Dramamine. You'll need a sweater and some waterproofs and pack some work gloves. You don't want rope burn on your hands. And get to the gym. A few hours a week building strength in your arms and back and shoulders will stand you in good stead when there's a haul to drag ashore. It's going to be uncomfortable, inconvenient and risky. But we wouldn't want it any other way, would we? Let's row into exhilarating deep waters where we will catch fish, but also where we are caught by the Holy Spirit. Amen.